working on it. I'm working on timing everything down. Have no idea what's going on over there because that was literally just a ghost that like literally just turned on that screen. So yeah, outside of me having ghosts in my in my office right now, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Yo, I'm. You know what? I'm great. You know, for yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna go cut in the hat today. Like hey, twin. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you like what we've done with the place for a little bit? I mean, okay, yeah. see, look at that. I, no, we see it. Like, we out here in full effect. I, but you know, though. I do. You see that? There's nothing in mine, though. There's definitely something in mine, but, you know, don't worry. You know what? I am going to have to figure out how am I going to get past this whole episode today with only the the contents inside this cup oh i'll sit for you on your behalf (laughs) well this should be interesting so we're gonna see how this all plays but uh what's up everybody i am mark monroe accompanied by my wonderful co-host co-producer co-creator and all things galactic out here coming through with the fatigue i see you you ready for something what is it what is it give it up for none other than lady Jalen GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins? All right. Well, what's up, y'all? Because clearly we got a jam-packed episode, so we don't want to waste your time. But let's get some of the obvious stuff out of the way. Like, for example, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button down below. We greatly appreciate it also if you go ahead and like, comment in today's video, as well as share it with maybe some people that may ask, are there secrets to the stock market? Which we'll get into. And then on top of that, if you want to be in the know, just like, who was it today? Who was it? Who was it? It was none other than Brandon Jimerson. Shout outs to you, my guy, because you were first and you let the world know. And you even, we even saw that you spelled the come up series. You actually did it though, that it's supposed to be a collective, but you know what? Hey, we'll still take it. Shout outs to you for being first in the chat. We salute you. So if you want to be like Brandon, go ahead and go ahead and hit that notification bell. So that way when we drop it, you know you're the first one in the chat and you can make yourself known and we will shout you out in the video. All right, Jolyn. Yes. How you doing? <laughs> well, let's talk about these markets, how these markets are doing. Let me take a sip first. Yeah, because I was going to say I got to conserve. <laughs> I got to conserve over here. All right. So we have the Dow coming in at negative 84.96 points. And the S&P 500 was up by, you know, a little sprinkle, 9.81 points. And the NASDAQ was up 114.42 points. The U.S. 10-year was at 2.991 percentage points. And we have the VIX heating up at a 32.99. It actually came down a little bit today. Um, mm-hmm. If we head on over to sector performance, Mark, I did tell you that there are 11 sectors and we track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like, right? Facts. <laughs> so we have technology holding it down, energy and communication services. For our bottom three, it's going to be financials, utilities and real estate. Now, for those of you who are new here, welcome, welcome. Um, the Come Up series has a pick list, aka the sips. You can find those on our Instagram page at that Come Up series. Just scroll through, you will find the post with the most. Now, we have FTNT up by uh, 6.76 points. CrowdStrike uh-huh. was up 
um, 5.70 points and NVIDIA was up 3.81 percentage points. Then for the bottoms, we have Twilio, negative 2.96 percentage points, SQQQ, negative 3.52 percentage points, and Unity Software, negative 4.47 points. So you can see that the spread is, the gap is closing a little bit, um, yeah. you know, compared to last week. So that's what we have. And now shout out to Brian Clayette, our historian. Today, we are going to talk about Ida B. Well, so excuse me while I pull that up. I wish By the way, uh, Jolyn, there's there's yeah. somebody in the comments that is missing something from you. Can, can I can I do me on my time? I didn't forget. So I guess I did. <laughs> I'm it's okay. It's okay. We got a jam pack episode, so there's a lot oh. that we got to get to. All right, here we go. We're going to talk today about Ida B. Wells. All right, so Ida B. Wells Barnett died on March 25th, 1931 in Chicago, Illinois at age 68. Wells is noted as a civil rights leader, journalist, newspaper editor, and suffragist. She reported lynching of African-Americans in America. Wells made sure that the world was aware of the cruel and inhumane actions that were occurring in America with African-Americans being lynched in dramatic numbers for trivial and often falsely accused charges. Through her investigative journalism, she published the staggering numbers of African-Americans being lynched and the ugly truth behind the killings. Wells was able to seek justice for those who could not um, obtain it for themselves. She traveled speaking in America and Europe, promoting her cause for humanity while risking her own safety. Wells was born um, as an enslaved person on July 16, 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Okay, so something really cool that happened over the weekend, Mark, that relates to Ida B. Wells. So here I was, minding my black business, attending um, an art event at WOW Gallery, where one of my favorite mm -hmm. artists has all of his work, Hiawatha D. So fast forward, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is the author of the 1619 oh. Project, was there speaking. And you know, you know she autographed for your girl. Hey. So, yeah. But that's not all. She was talking about just like all kinds of things that had to do with blackness, right? Um and then she also mentioned that Ida B. Wells was her um inspiration. So, I just thought it was cool that, you know, she had someone from, you know, our one of our collective ancestors that inspired her um to pursue her dreams in journalism and all that. So, I have her no. book and autograph and then this is a replica hey. of a print um, where I just put a deposit on y'all. So this is one of this piece right here. This is of Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, one of my um, a latest art acquisitions. Um, so this is, this is just the replica though. Um, the real one will be coming shortly. So I have a limited edition um, lithograph of that piece. Um, I always try to get the number one edition mark, but this time I was only in time to get number four. Um, but Nicole has number three. So nice. I figured, you know what, that's not too bad. I'm coming right I mean, after hey. you. you know, so you know, the, let people step ahead and be great a little bit. You know, it's only right. <laughs> it's of her. You know, it's of her. But anyway, it just, you know, when I just get so excited about art, you know, when it comes from 
to the point of like investing and collecting because all of my pieces that I've collected early on have increased in value. So the yes. girl is out here. She's in the market. She's in the art market. I'm out here. And yeah, so I just thought that was cool. We talk about Ida B. Wells, bring it to the um, future. And yeah. And Sharon Davis says she loves Hiawatha D's art. And yes, it is amazing. So Mark, you know, we've yeah. had a little bit of market. We had a little bit of art. You know how I like to keep things or whatever. So <laughs> let's get into it. But okay. before you do, Mark, before you do, let the record reflect y'all. Yes. I just want y'all to know that um, I had to like low key just fan Mark down a little bit because he <laughs> is ready, y'all. Like ready, ready. <laughs> Let's get into these secrets. Let's get into this market tea. Like, what's really goody? Okay. And meanwhile, Butter's off there. If you hear, like, a little noise in the background, Butter's, like, in Dreamsville right now. So okay. hopefully he doesn't fully interrupt, but you can see him kind of, like, twitching. So I'm not, he must be running in his sleep. All right. So, y'all, we got a lot to break down. But for those of you that follow me on Twitter, um, you kind of get to see some of my initial thoughts on things. Um, or things in which that I'm like kind of like preparing or setting the stage to discuss. So if you weren't on Twitter, that's okay. You know, we got you covered. So here are some of the things that I discussed. I said these are the things in which that I'm paying attention to. I'm paying attention to the U.S. dollar. We'll get to that. Uh, energy up 40% at the time of the posting. We'll get to that. Uh, has inflation started to peak? We'll find out tomorrow. Um, recession is already here. Housing is next. We're going to get to that. And, of course, all sectors are connected to an economic risk slash reward. We'll get to that. And then, of course, if we do have some time, we may get off into, you know, a little bit of Apple and Tesla. Or maybe even just some of the other, you know, questions. But... Yeah, we, we got a lot to unpack. We got a lot to unpack. So um, without further ado, let's first unpack what's been currently taking place in the market. So if you've been living underneath a rock or if you're just getting into the Finlit space, uh, welcome, by the way, if you're new. Um, but you probably walked into like a party that's like, for example, as if imagine like today's current today's current status of the market is like walking into like as if you walked into you know going to a world star hip-hop or something like that like and if you walk through the door and it's like you just see everything from world star hip-hop so that's the best way that i could possibly explain it just a lot of things going on a lot of chaos a lot of a whole lot of whole lot of so what happened so Let's roll it back a little bit, shall we? Yes. Because the funny thing is a lot of folks think that we're in a stock market correction. And then the other part is, well, that's not the funny part. That's, that's the actual part. We're okay. in a stock market correction, but then there's other folks out there that think that we're headed towards a stock market crash. Interesting. And it's interesting also where it's like most of the time, if, if you notice within the market or if you watch a lot of media, you'll tend to notice that a lot of times their stories or their or their stances change as the data changes. So remember once upon a time we were hearing like, oh, this is a lot like 2008, 2009, or say for example, this is a lot like 2018, or this is a lot like potentially 2020. But then as the data starts to come out and play out a little bit more, 
you start to see that, okay, maybe this isn't the same thing of what we expected. Now, keep in mind, when the market crashed in 2020, the market had dropped, I think, about 35%. So, and then it's like people are thinking about, okay, hey, well, we have the stock market bubble, the tech bubble is busting. Okay, you can, you can possibly say that because there were a lot of tech companies that went public through the time of the pandemic and even before leading up towards the pandemic, you saw a lot of companies going public via SPAC and also through direct listing. Um, you also saw that even then their financials were a little bit shaky, but hey, it was the best time to do it because of the fact is, is that they realized that the writing was on the wall that they were probably not going to be able to raise any more significant rounds of capital, so they had to turn to the next best thing, which, I mean, it's ever-flowing, which is the publicly traded markets. The only problem is when you move to the publicly traded markets, there's an even flow that you don't experience on the private side. The only thing that you get on the private side is people say no when, when it comes to raising a round. But when it comes to, say, for example, raising capital or using that money for raising capital in the publicly traded markets, you're dictated based upon your your market cap value size, which is what you can borrow against, and then on top of that, how much money you raise in your initial offering. So if you think about it, the IPO process is literally like a massive fundraising round, except it's just more so for the public side, so where public investors or retail investors can all take part in the process. Okay, so, but there were some cracks there. And if you guys remember back in 2020, you know, it wasn't that far along, but it was two years ago. And it's actually funny because it's pretty close to this date where we started having this conversation about, okay, hey, are SPACs, like, is this something that you really, really want to bank on in the sense that they have to still prove that their business model works? By them going SPAC, it's ultimately them literally saying that, all right, well, hey, we were pushing forward that this is our plan. And how is it that we plan on making money? And this is ultimately what we're doing. And then there's some SPACs that are stronger than the others. But for the vast majority of them, a lot of them had business models that were okay, but not something in which that is like, okay, that this is something that is scalable. If you think about it, coming to the publicly traded market side, they were way too early in coming to the publicly traded market side. So many of the companies that became SPACs should have stayed private. But again, the money that they were going to raise during that period of time it was the come up. It was a it was a serious come up for a lot of these companies. No pun intended. I really tried to find another word, but I just couldn't find a phrase. Okay, so then we also have like okay, hey, well, people are like, well, Mark, that's great for SPAC companies, but what's happening on those companies that are like you know that have been here for a minute? Well. Nobody is ever exempt from, say, for example, a PE reduction or, say, for example, when things start to, like, really bring it back and, and dial it back, everybody gets hit. Like, somehow, some way across the market, there's, some, there's nowhere where it's like, if it's a scorched earth, scorched, from what I've always learned, when it's a scorched earth sun, somebody's always going to get a piece of the sun. Some people are going to get it more brighter, others are going to still have a piece of that sun, but it may not be just as bright. So your tech companies, which also are AKA known, AKA known as your momentum stocks, AKA known as your growth stocks, they got hit the hardest. Why? Because in this market, in this current market in which that we're seeing, it's not about the dividends. I mean, if you really think that this market is all about dividends, then you, know, you missed it. Because dividends are the, are the profits in which that ultimately that the company pays out. And the companies that are dividend companies, you have to really sit back and think to yourself, 
are they really paying out that strong of dividends, especially since they also got hit by that same pandemic that those other companies that don't pay out dividends, don't they also suffer kind of like the same fate to a certain degree? So when we ask ourselves, like, why are some companies getting hit the hardest versus some versus the others? Well, think about it. If you look at the trajectory of most of the companies that are out there, look at like, for example, if Microsoft was Microsoft back in the Balmer days. Now, anybody out there that feels me that understand exactly what that pain was like, trust me, you're going to understand what I'm talking about over these next 30 to 45 seconds. During the Balmer days, after Bill Gates had left the company, Microsoft like didn't really have that strong of a direction. I mean, there was like really no innovation that was coming forth. And then on top of that, there was antitrust that was looming. There was a lot going on. And essentially the company was just like, kind of like just sitting there. And think about what took place with Microsoft during that entire time when we went through financial crisis and everything else. It kind of just like stayed there, just like unbothered with the rest of the market. Did it take its hits? Yeah, but its hits weren't as heavy because of the fact that honestly, Microsoft was just that stock that, yeah, it would pay you out a dividend, it would do this, but it wasn't really considered a growth stock. Until by the name, of, until a guy by the name of Satya Nadella came forth and Steve Ballmer got the boot outside of Microsoft, AKA he retired, um, then pretty much, okay, now Microsoft has become a growth stock because look at the growth in which that they put forth. Look at the investments that they started putting forth. So now they're considered a quote unquote growth stock slash value stock slash pillar stock because of the fact that it is number two in the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And typically the top five within the S&P 500, they typically will stay there for a minute. They, they take hits, they take their lumps, but at the end of the day, they don't get unseated unless it's time for them, unless the market is saying, okay, hey, it's signaling it's time for a change of leadership. So which means that you're going to have your same top five there. They're just going to get shaved and pretty much we move on. So here's where we're at. We saw that we, we saw this astronomical growth of companies that were like doing significantly well. And then 2021, we started to see that teeter a little bit because of the fact that, okay, hey, there was talks about inflation. There was talks about the Fed needs to get it into gear. Um, but then it's like, all right, well, here we are in 2022. And everybody thought that, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like we expect it's time. It was sooner or later, it's time for us to pay the piper. Well, it's time to pay the piper and it's just, and it just but happened. But wait, let's back up a little bit. So, okay. Sure. So you just talked about, um, IPO market and then you jump from IPO market to, um, like the, the publicly traded companies that are pretty much like veterans. Right. So yep. what are the key things that we can glean from the IPO market that can let us have some insight on the market? Okay, so the things that you always pay attention to when looking at the IPO market. One, look at their raise. Look at how much that they're raising. Look at how much that they raised prior. Um, mm -hmm. That gives you a glimpse based upon how much they've raised versus what is it that they're actually doing also at like particular areas of growth and scale. So let's say that you've raised billions of dollars or million or tons of dollars in your previous rounds, but yet at the same token, the company's still cash poor. Mm, that could pose some issues in the early days. Now, when we look at those veterans, those veterans, the reason why I say that they're getting hit is because of the fact that they went alongside with the rest of the market and they went for those astronomical rides up. Doesn't make them any weaker. Remember this. Um, Jeff Bezos had this, has this video out on YouTube saying the company is not the stock. We saw that our stock was getting hammered 
And yet everybody was like, well, wait a minute, like, is Amazon a terrible company? And he was like, wait a minute, how are we a terrible company? We got revenue, we got sales, we got profit, and we're reinvesting. Those companies are still doing the same thing. So, for example, you have Apple. I mean, I think they increased their dividend, and on top of that, they increased their share of buybacks to $90 billion. You've got Warren Buffett out there saying that, okay, hey, and the next time that Apple dips, I'm going to be a buyer. And sh sorry to Kiki, because I know that she wanted Apple at 148 and Apple's been holding pretty steady at the 150, 151 level. Now, can it break that? Yes, but for all intents and purposes, they've got star power, meaning that they've been around the block a few times, so which means that they've they built up strong cash flow. Remember that word that I just said there, cash flow, strong cash flow. So they've got that. They also got pricing power, so which means that essentially that Apple is probably one of the very few companies that's sitting back unbothered. I think as of Friday, they were down 11%, and then on Monday, I think they came down to about 14%, 15%, which is pretty much typical of any correction of being in, quote-unquote, it, it gently touches bear market territory, sits there for a while, and then pretty much I would probably be watching again mm -hmm. Apple. And like I said, you saw my Twitter, so I said Apple and Tesla. That's Wait. the reason why... Yes. No, go ahead. Finish that thought. That's the reason why I'm watching Apple and Tesla, because Tesla mm -hmm. represents that momentum growth. Mm -hmm. And then Apple represents that strong pillar within the market, just sitting there unmoved. It's still get it's still bending, but it's not breaking and is very much so indicative of the entire market. Now, of course, if you have Apple flush with the rest of the market, then that's a whole different set okay. of pain. But okay. at the same time. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, yeah, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to probably like pull me back. So that's okay. <laughs> Apple is gonna be one of those kind of companies that you're really gonna have to watch its earnings. So remember what I said before earnings season started. I mm -hmm. said Wall Street will be okay with you bending, but they don't want to see anything as it pertains to signs of breakage. So which means your earnings can come in line. They could be slightly amiss, maybe. You're, but if your earnings are slightly amiss, you can't miss on guidance. You can beat on the top and bottom line, but you can't miss on, say, for example, the on the guidance. If you beat on the top and bottom line, and on top of that, you raise your full year guidance, then honestly, look at the companies in which they did that. Look at the companies in which that their guidance either was on a beat, and on top of that, they beat on the top and bottom line, and they raised their guidance, or they came in line. Look at where they sit today versus the companies that dropped their full year guidance mm -hmm. or the companies that even didn't give full year guidance or the companies that missed on the top and bottom line and on top of that missed on guidance it's a tale of two different stories now again nobody's exempt go ahead okay so um i just want to make sure you know that you know you're just okay so pulling it back some all right so one can say that um a company that is a veteran company um that has cash flow and pricing power um is kind of like a stealth indicator of the market because one they are a stalwart meaning that they stand firm and strong Correct. depending on even when all the stuff is going on and then you couple that with a company like tesla who has shown over and over again through their earnings what um what what what, what type of time they're on so it's like you have a growth indicator and then you also have um, a, a value indicator or like a, a veteran indicator. Yep. Um, and then that's part of the, that's one of the secrets of knowing like what is going on in the market or being able to tell like which way 
potentially the wind will blow. Now, here you, you nailed it spot on, Jolene, but then here's the next key kicker that okay. I don't think a lot of people are talking about. The only thing that people are talking about when it comes to the, to the dollar is mm -hmm. about how many dollars the, US, the United States is in debt for. Okay. The but the thing that we're not talking about is the U.S. dollar itself. Okay. So well, I feel like I feel like we should talk about it because I feel like it's a strong conversation that needs to be had. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go ahead and so for everybody out there, I'm gonna pull up a chart. <laughs> and so let's see if I can get this up here for everybody. Hopefully you guys get a, a good chart over here, so we don't need to share audio. All right, boom. Can everybody see this chart? I think you can. All right, make sure you guys take copious notes here. I saw it in the chat, so because this is gonna matter significantly. Now this is the, this is the US dollar over 20 years. So the last time it was at that high was September of 2002. And it looks like we're headed back up to those periods of time. But let's bring it into perspective because what we saw today was, of course, we saw the U.S. dollar pretty much, you know, fluctuate within a time span. If we look at it over the last six months, though, now we're starting to see a different set of story, right? We're seeing the dollar on an infamous incline. Okay. And if we look at it over the past two years, we went from the dollar dropping so remember when we started doing that quantitative easing, the value of the dollar started dropping and we kind of just sat there and this was around the time where it's just like, all right, the market was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden we started creeping back up and then we met where those, we came back up to the, where the, exactly where those highs were. And then essentially now this is where we are now to put it into greater perspective. This is why I like three year and five year charts. Okay. Because here it is, here's the three year. So which means that this represents the pandemic. This represents the market before the pandemic. We are pretty much, the dollar is pretty much at a well above pandemic highs. So if you think about it, we came down to the lows, which was in January 4th. And then since then, the US dollar woke right back up. It came back and retested, but then it woke right up. Now, this is something that I want I want everybody to pay attention to because when I pull this up, and I'm gonna just use something as simple as a spy. Or actually, I'm gonna actually use Apple. So that way we can all be on the same page. Here is Apple, and there's the US dollar. It's kind of hard to see. Let's see if I can make it a little bit more bold for the peoples then. Maybe like orange? Um, yeah, I'm going to change the color and I'm going to make it something that you can't miss. We're going to make it a solid blue. Let's see if that works. Is that better? No. Really? Yeah, you need like okay. a orange or a yellow. You want me to give me like a an orange? Yeah. All right, so we're going to go with an orange. Hopefully you can see that. Is that better? It's just It's just thin and dark. I mean, I can see it, but, you know. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. All right. So let's look at it in perspective of, say, for example, the U.S. dollar. So remember, as the dollar started dropping, we saw this inverse. Now, of course, 
keep it in perspective, Apple was still on its incline. It was still showing you steadily growth. And that's one of the things to also take into consideration. Still showing steadily lines of growth, but yet at the same token, as the U.S. dollar got stronger, that is a very telling picture. A very much so telling picture. Here's the reason why. Let's remove Apple out of this one, and then let's put in the S&P 500 SPY ETF. Now this should show you a totally different, and just for the sake of it, I'm going to try to see if I can get it in a different color for you, Jolyn. Let's put I'm going to suggest like a, it white. Oh, well, that I'm actually sounds like a great idea. All right, so there it is. We have white. Is that better? Yeah, that's way better. So the line represents the S&P 500. And here, I'll just put it here. So the line represents the S&P 500. Now, of course, you can see the dip in, say, for example, the movement is indicative and we we inverse. And then now, all of a sudden, we inversed again. So we inverse back here on July 20th, <laughs> July 20th. And then, of course, we inversed here on uh, April 18th. Now, again, why does this matter? Because nobody's talking about it. To the folks in the chat, why does the U.S. dollar matter when it comes to it being so high? Why does, a, why does it matter if the U.S. dollar is high? I'm looking in the chat right now. Because it's very much so indicative, and we've seen this happen in other cases, where if you look back even in places of like 2018 and other arenas, when you see that, say for example, that a certain thing is higher, then ultimately it can slightly drive equities lower. Okay. The chat's starting to roll in. They say cost of borrow is higher. Okay, that could be one of them. Reserve currency, risk on, risk off, yes. But expensive product to export. Shoutouts to Flight School for literally yeah. nailing it. Flex. Oh, Flex School. Flex School. Sorry about that. Shoutouts to Flex School. Expensive product to export. Nailed it right there on the head. Here's the reason why. Because when the US dollar starts to climb, think about it. When it comes to trade exports, you have to look at it in the sense of, okay, hey, now that doll, that uh, Apple iPhone that cost $1,000 is going to cost more in other arenas outside of the United States. Now, to everybody here in the United States, U.S. dollar being high, I mean, that means that you have a very strong dollar. But a very strong dollar that is well outside of the scope in comparison to other currencies, that can pose issues. Now, one of the things that I had also posed in my Twitter, I said that recession is already here didn't mean that I was talking about the United States. I was talking about in perspective of what's happening around us globally. So for example, Europe is in, an, is in a recession. So with a high US dollar, with Europe in recession, that could potentially have massive impacts against some of the companies that we see here, AKA your tech stocks, especially ones that sell tech products. But it's not just the tech hardware alone. It can also be, say, for example, your software companies, because again, software companies also charge based upon U.S. dollar. So again, that can also have impact as it pertains to foreign exchange currency issues. One of the things that you can look at, and I know Morgan Stanley does a good job, and I think that some of the other firms do great jobs when it comes to reporting that within their analyst research reports. They say, and I know Zach's does it. 
they mentioned foreign exchange currency issues could also be, say, for example, an issue. So, for example, in an inflated environment, when currency, when the when the cost of currency is higher, and that means that that means that your spending power becomes a lot less. Now, for a lot of folks that are sitting here thinking about, well, Mark, U.S., you know, U.S. is like literally pumping in forty billion dollars towards uh, Ukraine. Okay, but do you just think that U.S. The United States is just pumping money to Ukraine for no apparent reason, just to be Captain Save a country. <laughs> Do you really think that? Oh, I don't think that. If you notice, every single movement that is being made on a global perspective is not about people's feelings. It's not about how they feel about the current situation. It will mm -hmm. always lead back to trade. So, for example, what does the, what does Ukraine produce? I mean, think about some of those companies. I have said, to my knowledge, Ukraine produces, what is it, 5% of the world's earth materials. Mm -hmm. that's, nothing to, that's nothing to, like, take lightly, because that 5% could ultimately have massive impacts. You see that earth materials are running in light. You see that, essentially, that we're having supply chain constraints. Now, a lot mm -hmm. of folks are like, well, the Fed is supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. There's nothing that the Fed can do. The mm -hmm. Fed has done everything that they could possibly do. And even though that they can literally focus on the demand side of things, which means that they can raise rates, by them raising rates is not going to solve a supply chain issue. It's not going to supply. It's not going to solve that. So the Fed, if you look at it, and one of the things that we look at, say for example, which is very clear and indicative. Remember in 2021 we were talking about the chip supply shortage, Chillin? I do remember that. Remember that. And remember how we were talking about that by 2022, 2023, we should start seeing some of those issues subside? Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, if you didn't know, a lot of those same products now are being sold at MSRP prices, and some are getting ready to go below their MSRP price. And you're starting to see those shelves start to stock right back up, which lets you know that their inventories are okay and that the inflationary pieces that we once saw they're starting to come down. Remember those used cars that we saw, like where you could buy a used car and it was like pretty much the same cost of buying a new car? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that That's starting to come down. That's starting to come down. So again, it's like those things were more so on a supply chain, supply side, re recessionary piece. That's where your recession is really being started because of the fact of scarcity. It has nothing to do with the demand. The demand is still there. Though, though that the thing is, what the Fed is thinking that they can do is, hey, we can raise rates to slow down demand. Yeah, that will work for us for a little bit of time, but then over time, essentially, those supplies, those supply issues have to be resolved. If not, then there's nothing that you can do to literally, like, to literally fan the flames of demand. We're still there. Uh, how are the Teslas holding up as far as, as far as their value goes? Holding up very strong. I mean, one of the things. Well, I, I stopped doing it because I, I I didn't like the phone all the phone calls that I kept receiving. Um, <laughs> it kind of got a little annoying, <laughs> but I did it as a test where it's like, hey, how much would a person want to buy my Tesla for? I mean, mm -hmm. sure enough, I mean, I got an offer for fifty four, solid. I'm not gonna sell it because I love my car. Plus, you know, to get a new one, it's like, you know, I'd, I'd be on a waiting list and I don't like sitting on waiting lists. So what does this all mean? 
because a lot of folks are sitting back and asking, hey, Mark, you just dropped in a lot of information. How does it all connect? Like, you know, connect yeah, the dots together, for us. Brother. Put it together. I'm going to put it together for you. So I'm going to take that same posting that I just did on Twitter. Mm -hmm. U.S. Okay. dollar, it's got to come down. That's a fact. If the mm -hmm. U.S. dollar doesn't come down, then essentially that can spell more pain ahead. But once when we start to see that other things start to subside and we start to see that some of those shocks also start to subside, then you will start to see that the U.S. dollar itself comes down. Energy is up 40% year to date. But it's interesting. Has anybody noticed that energy is up, but yet at the same token, things in which that like definitely benefit from the energy sector, they're not doing as hot? Like, AKA, go look at the transports. You know, if we, if we have to, I could pull up XLE. And XLE is kind of like, you know, pretty much bucked the entire trend this year. AKA, if you don't know what XLE is, that's pretty much the energy sector. So if I'm sharing screen, share the tab. Um, okay, so here is XLE in comparison to the SPY. So they're both ETFs, but I mean, it gives you an idea of the S&P 500. So as you can see here, XLE took a significant dip alongside with the S&P 500, but look at its recovery. It recovered pretty much almost identical with the rest of, say, for example, the S&P 500. But at the same time, it also, it also started to buck that trend and started to go the opposite way. Now, of course, we can look at that as it pertains to U.S. oil production. We can look at it as it pertains to Russia, Ukraine, yada, yada, yada. A lot of things can can really make the statement for that, but at the same time, we're starting to see something because I want to focus your attention. I'm going to remove this off of the chart. I'm going to remove the spy off the chart. I'm going to just clear it because okay. this is very interesting because this is XLE on a five-year chart. Now, let's look at it on a two-year chart because I'm going to make this point really quickly. So this is us the first week of January of 2021, right here. I don't know what why it says e-trade. I don't know why it says e-trade on my screen. That's weird. Um, but anyways, so I'm going to literally put a vertical line here mm -hmm. on January. So this is the vertical line right here. Okay. Gotcha. Now notice, look at its run all the way up to like really March. So look at this, look at, look at its run from that point till March 12th. And then it kind of started to peak around June. And then after that energy kind of just like took a breather. Now, this is currently where we see energy now. So here we are in the first the first of the year. Like if we if we really want to, it's like around here. So we took this, we started to go for this run again here. And then of course in April, we kind of had our peak. And then of course we came back down. And then, of course, we went up to its high. That's the last part of where we peaked. So we peaked as of four days ago in the energy sector. Now, of course, you see that administrations are focused on bringing down the price of oil, a.k.a. the price of gas. So, of course, if that keeps happening 
energy is ultimately going to suffer that same fate and come back down. Now the question is, again, where do we go from here? So that is the question when it comes to will energy run out of gas? And then, of course, has inflation started to peak? Well, if inflation has peaked, if inflation has peaked, then that means that energy prices will ultimately start to subside themselves, which means that supply becomes available. We already know that places in Saudi Arabia and other areas are starting to increase oil production. And ultimately, the reason why is because now you find yourself with an issue within the oil markets because why? Russian oil is so cheap. Now, of course, China is literally sitting there at bay because of the fact that they don't want to fan any flames with any other countries. But at the same time, there is another country that, that has a billion <laughs> has a billion people that a lot of folks aren't really paying attention to that you should really start to give some attention because again it's like china is also on a no COVID policy which shuts down a lot of things well if that is something in which that is going to be potentially a normalcy trust and believe companies will always look elsewhere and know this india is looking at is being looked at as a very bright spot for potentially moving a lot of those businesses that do production, moving it to India. I think Elon Musk actually went on record and said that they're not really looking at any more plants in China as it pertains to manufacturing. I wonder where can the next one be? Okay, so then we said recession is already here. We mentioned that recession is already here due to energy constraints and also supply chain as well as dollar and some other related areas. So once when we see that those areas have started to ultimately relieve some of those shocks, typically what you want to wait for is about two to three quarters just to see exactly if the recession itself is, has started to subside. So how do we look for those? We look for GDP. That's the number one thing that everybody looks at when it comes to recession. Has the GDP, were those GDP numbers just a fluke or will those GDP numbers start to get better? If the GDP numbers start to get better, that reflects that, okay, hey, that we're kind of like moving up out of the woods. If they're not, which we expect that some of those numbers will still be pretty bad, mm -hmm. then again, that lets you know that we're still in a recession. Now, again, that's on a global recessionary side. That has nothing to do with the United States. The United States, though it did have some not so good numbers on the GDP forefront, it's still not to say, because if you look at earnings, 75% of the companies that reported earnings, and this was the quarter, 75% of them reported earnings growth of 8%. So, which means that they were beating their earnings estimates by at least 8%. Though it's not double-digit growth, but it's at the same token, they're still showing that there's growth there. Not growing at the same rate, but yet at the same token, growth is still there. Um, something that you definitely don't want to, something that you definitely don't want to overlook. So, pay attention there. All sectors are connected to an economic risk and reward. That is definitely a fact. One of the one of the risks that I, if you notice that I was talking about in this entire conversation, was about the U.S. dollar. A high U.S. dollar means that essentially that the spending outward towards some of these U.S.-based companies that puts them at a significant risk. What you look for is to see that that U.S. dollar comes down. Now we've already started to see Treasury yields start to drop. So we went from that high peak point. I think it was like 3.1 percent in the 10-year treasury mm -hmm. so now we're about 2.9 you're yeah. really going to be looking at cpi numbers and really the all eyes is not going to be i don't think that the eyes are going to be on food i think the eyes are going to be more so on energy costs mm -hmm. now even if we see that energy is still at its high the question is when we talk about has it peaked 
is it still going to be at its same price level that it was at the last read, which means that that can signal that it's peaking, that essentially that we've reached the max of where it could go. Now, mind you, another thing that's also in our favor is this thing called seasonality factor. So when we talk about seasonality factor, that means that every, in, every sector has its season. Remember what I mentioned earlier in the conversation? Mm -hmm. Everyone has their moment in the sun. And sometimes when you're in a scorched sun, then that means that some folks are sitting out there getting sunburned. Meanwhile, some folks are sitting in the shade and getting a little bit of sun. You know, we've all seen those folks on the beach. All right. So this is what we're talking about. Like now it's the question of who's going to have their moment in the sun. Now, normally tech companies and consumer discretionary don't have first good first quarters and good second quarters. They don't. Their time to shine is typically towards the back leg of the year. So who naturally shines during this part of the, this part of the year? Remember way back when in 2021 where I said, okay, hey, draw up a matrix of the sectors by quarter to say, okay, hey, when do you expect them to be at their peak as it pertains to performance? Go back to that within your notes. Please go back to that in your notes. And if you haven't done it, I'll give you the rubric again. Take all 11 sectors draw them out like draw them out like put them on one on one line and then have the quarter q1 q2 q3 q4 look at exactly which quarters they're supposed to do well those are the quarters that you want to pay attention to because those are the quarters that are going to have a massive impact now of course the market moves at a six to nine month trajectory ahead of what's expected so again did the market just tell you that hey we expect that earnings this year are going to be trash possibly we're not going to see the same type of growth that we saw in the two years prior, possibly. So now the market has sniffed that out. Now the market has flushed, has flushed a lot of those PE multiples. Think about it. You once upon a time had PE, you had PE ratios or PEs at 205. Now they're sitting at 21. You're going to start, and I'll give you a heads up as it pertains to what to listen for in the media because it's coded language within the space. Just because, just because it's Wall Street doesn't mean that there's not coded language here. So one of the things to listen to, nibbling. I don't know why that that's an actual phrase, but that's actually really a thing. When you start hearing that some of the analysts or some of the folks that manage money, they will tell you that they're starting to nibble. They're starting to buy things. Are they throwing the, are they throwing the entire portfolio at it? Absolutely not. But it's letting you know that it's telling you something, that the prices here are very attractive. Another thing to pay attention to is well here's another thing cautiously optimistic i don't know how many times i've heard this phrase before and it doesn't really make sense because you're cautious but yet at the same token you're hopeful on the other side how does that work somebody please tell me there's that part then the other part to look at is um when looking forward here's another coded language cash flow and this market cash flow is going to be king and companies that are that literally have strong balance sheets, strong cash flow, you don't have to worry about them cutting their workforce. No shade towards anybody out there, but you know, hey. Cash flow, free cash flow. Those things are going to matter in this environment. Is it more so like you could say that, hey, Mark, that's more so what we typically see within value plays. But there are value companies out there that their free cash flows are trash also. So that's going to be something to pay attention to as well, because in a market like this, and especially when the market makes a turn, you're going to want to be in a company that can literally spend the money to literally get ahead of the rest of the pack. That's what it's going to be about. 
when you really look at this market, think about it like this. You're picking a team to play five on five with somebody else and you're one of the team captains. So now the market like literally just flushed everybody off of its team. Now it's time to repick the t it's now time to repick the squad. So now you have to think about it. Who looks the strongest? Normally when they do this, they look at the eye test. The eye test in this market is going to be earnings, earnings growth, guidance, free cash flow. We're, because at the end of the day, when you're investing, when you're trading, or when you're in this market, you're, you're playing to win. You're not playing for peanuts. You're playing to win. You're playing for freedom. So at that point in time, you look for who are the strong ones. And then after the strong ones are picked up, notice how what happens after that. You start to pick on like, okay, hey, I, I'll pick this person. They're good, but they're not that good. And then as you get closer towards the end, you start to see exactly like the weak ones are the last ones picked. So the ones that um, the ones that have that strong cash flow and it's one thing to just be a company that has money, but it's like, what are you spending the money on? So if you're giving dividends and all that, that's not, that's not really the biggest indicator, but the biggest indicator is when the company is purchasing innovation, like whatever their, um, tech stack is, they're filling the gaps of their tech stack and they are mm -hmm. um, purchasing things that will further their innovation. So Correct. I think that's a great indicator so one of the things that i also mentioned as it pertains to risks so this right. is the part where it comes to the risk and reward the reward or so here's the risk the risk are the companies in which that like i said are their best days ahead of them or are they behind them so for example you know when we look at companies that have significant economic risk you know, remember it was a lot of your automobile companies that were literally halted in their production because of the fact that they didn't have chips at all. They were they were literally constrained. So think about companies that literally, like for example, is COVID still an economic risk? Yes. Why? Because China shut down. So if China shut down, then what does that do towards companies that are literally that are literally relying mm -hmm. on China as it pertains okay. to manufacturing? And it's not just manufacturing. Here's another part to pay attention to. If people are inside and they're ordering online, how does the product get there? How does it get there? So if because China if you literally put everybody on a shutdown, doesn't that also apply to the same companies that are also doing the shipping? They can't deliver. Okay. <laughs> so that's an economic risk. Right. We look at the things in which that are taking place. The U.S. dollar, that's an economic risk. Why? Because you're dealing with, you're dealing with, say, for example, the strength of the U.S. dollar in comparison to your your currency. So, is it the is it the yuan? Is it the ruble? Is it the yen? You know, when you look at all of those different things, is it the Australian? Is it the euro? Is it the pound? You know, all of those things matter, especially if you think about, say, for example, the cost of export, the cost of import. If you think about the cost of actual goods themselves, because those prices will roll over to the consumer for the most part. So, again, and the companies that are not changing their prices, they have pricing power, which means that the only thing that you will probably see is that their margin somehow, some way will get cut. Now, the companies that don't have that type of power... Look at, watch and see what happens to their, to their employee and their employment base. You know, look at like what happened with Carvana. What is it? They cut their, they cut their work, they cut their workforce by 10%. I it you was know, 
yeah. Well, okay, so they cut their workforce by 12%. That's huge. That's huge. That's more than that's more than the amount of tithes. <laughs> so again, <laughs> that's something to definitely pay attention to. So that employment, that's an economic indicator cuz then it's like, okay, hey, you just chopped 12% of your of your workforce. Okay, well those numbers reflect when it comes to unemployment numbers. Well, we start to see that those unemployment numbers will start to pick up. You know, we've heard of say for example, Hood, Robinhood cutting Carvana cutting, and then some of your other companies that were SPAC, they're cutting, you know, and then you'll see a trickle here and there about three to five percent from some companies, you know, when those things happen, you'll see that people will start to collect unemployment. So, and then it comes down to the 13X, which I left at the very end. Wait, say that again, because um, you cut out. The 13Fs? Okay. You want to pay attention to 13Fs. Here's the reason why you want to pay attention to 13Fs. We already know what everybody's selling, but nobody knows what everybody else is buying because of the fact that the only thing that you see right now is just the selling. Remember that website that we gave by the name of, what was it again? What was it, Jolene? Coifin? No, it was, yeah, that's it. It was whalewisdom.com. No. Oh. <laughs> Wellwisdom.com lets you know exactly where funds are ultimately making, where is it that they're buying, where is it that we already know what's been sold. I mean, you can literally just, you know, check the market, even look at your portfolio. I mean, I see it all the time. I'm probably sure that Lynn sees it. We know what's being sold. The question is, do we know what's being bought? Like, those are the things to pay attention to. And the things that are being bought right now, if you do find yourself in a recession, Again, you want to find yourself in companies that are going to have strong cash where they can make investments and still keep growing even in the midst of a recession. Because note this, everybody thinks that the world comes to a standstill in a, re in a recession. That's not true. That's really where the tough ones really make their bones. If you go back and look at Amazon during the midst of a recession, look at how much dollars that they spent in investment during a recession and look at how they came out later. If you look at what took place across many different companies during the midst of a recession, and on top of that, look at the innovative opportunities that popped up due to a recession or due to a pandemic. We have yet to see, we have yet to scratch the surface on some of those innovative, on some of those innovations that are going to come to the forefront of what's possible, what's available, and what is it that people want to invest in. People think that people just stop investing, and that's far from the truth. It's just the thing so, is you're seeing the temporary shocks, but you're not looking at the long-term, the long-term visible plan. So this would be a good time then to revisit um, what um, some companies are purchasing as far as their like innovation map or whatever. Correct. Correct. Because they're still acquiring other companies. They're still acquiring mm -hmm. startups out there. It's just kind of quiet. And, you know, people look at the venture capital market in the sense of saying that, oh, it's slowed down. I promise you, it's not slow. It has not slowed down. Maybe it's slowed down in certain areas of the United States. But remember, venture capital goes around the world. So just because of the fact that they say that maybe America is too hot right now, or maybe it's too expensive to invest in American startups, for the most part, they're still investing in American startups. But maybe it looks cheaper to invest in some of these startups that we see in Africa or in Europe or in Asia. 
those things matter. Okay, so we went through several different um, key um, indicators, metrics, things to put on your watch list besides companies that you're looking at. Yep. Um, and let me make sure. Oh, for those that um, for those that don't want to, um, you know, write out all of the sectors and then all the quarters, there was that website. Coifin. Stocks? No, it's not Coifin. I mean, Coifin probably has it, but it was it was a it was one that we gave like a while ago. Oh man. You <laughs> need a running list because there's so many. There's so many resources that there's so many resources that we that we focus on providing everybody that pretty soon we start to like run out of like oh man we forget that we gave them this or that we showed them this. I'll, but, I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure that it was um, stocks. Stock. Well, yeah. I think it was stock stock chart. I think it was. Okay. Just remember this, y'all. If you didn't, if, if a lot of the information that I gave to you was like kind of like an information overload to your brain, like where you felt like, oh man, Mark is back in that kind of mode. One, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and then two, I'm doing this with a purpose of helping you understand that, okay, hey, understand the markets, understand what's happening around you. It goes well deep beyond, say, for example, just the stock market. The stock market is only just a reflection and a heat check temperature of everybody's feelings that just happens to be tied to finance, to their finances. Mm -hmm. But the real story is being able to be able to look at some of those other pieces and see how, think, because a lot of things are really not internal that's taking place. The only thing that you can look at is like the, the trillions of dollars in debt that the United States has, but that's been going on since forever. That's not the driving force for the United States being where it is or for U.S. companies being where they are. Remember, these are global-based companies. The U.S., if the U.S. economy is fine, but say, for example, other countries outside of the U.S. are not doing as well, then what does that say about the U.S. Then what does that say about the U.S. companies that are listed on the U.S. stock market? If, say, for example, the cost of things go up, don't they eat into the margins of some of those companies? If, say, for example, the cost of, say, for example, those those same resources go up, like for example, if we're not just talking about oil, but the cost to produce, aka wage inflation, is going up then that eats into the margin. That's that's economical. If we look into, for example, what's taking place on the trade, on the trade forefront, like for example, people are looking at US and China tariffs being lifted. Okay, that's going to that's going to definitely give some relief. But the thing to look at also is why is it that the United States is there? You know, of course, we're sending, you know, defense support and everything else. But make no mistake about it. The decisions that we make as a country are always on a trade and economical standpoint. We make decisions strategically that literally benefit the U.S. economically as, as it pertains to our GDP growth and, mm -hmm. of course, trade. Don't think that people are out here doing things just for charity. That's not mm -hmm. the case. 
Charity may start at home, but many nine times out of ten in this world, th that's as far as it goes. It leave it it doesn't leave the front door, and it's an unfortunate thing, but it's the truth. So when we look at housing, okay, housing inventories have still been at an all have been significantly at an all time low. But what's still happening to the housing market? You know, we look at it in the sense of, oh, well, housing housing prices won't drop. Why won't they? Well, because of the fact that scarcity, that, that there's only so many houses. You can have very few houses, but yet those very few houses that are available that nobody can afford, then who's going to buy it? You're going to have to adjust the price. And the reason why you would have to adjust the price is because of the fact that pretty soon, you know, the, the opportunity of the folks that are willing to pay top dollar, mm -hmm. that's going to be a challenge. I'm issuing a, a warning to folks because of the fact that, you know, hey, I'd, re, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Don't just look at it as it pertains to house buyers. The folks that are out there flipping houses, they can get clapped too. You know, imagine what happens when you buy a fixer-upper, you fix it up, and then, of course, you try to flip the house, and the next thing you know, the the market goes soft. Those are yeah, real things. Too much for the house from jump. So again, you know, those are things to pay attention to. And the thing is, it's very easy to look at the stronger. It's, it's very easy to look at the strong the stronger parts of the chain. Focus on the things in which that nobody's talking about. Like I said, nobody's talking about the U.S. dollar right now. They talk about the ten-year like it's like every every minute, every other hour. Mm -hmm. But why aren't they talking about the U.S. dollar? The U.S. ten-year has fluctuated X amount of times, so has dropped from from three to two point seven, or from two point seven to two point four, and yet the market still went down. But yet, you know what kept climbing? The U.S. dollar. So we are um, two minutes over, but um, this is also something. Like this episode um, is a good one to come back to, especially during this all this like uncertainty that's happening in the market and all the emotion so that you can stay focused on the task at hand and kind of, you know, shore up like your knowledge base. Um, especially like looking at all those indicators. And like I always say, like, do not you don't have to do this alone, like literally like pair up. Yes. And go through all every single indicator metrics that we talked about, like go through it, but go through it with someone else. And if you're not able to do that, then just study it yourself, but then share it with someone else. Even if there's someone that doesn't even know the market, like keep in conversation, even when you are sit, having your money sitting on the side and you're waiting for your entry. Like this is the time, you know, to really go hard on whatever your um, research rituals are. Like this is the time right now so that you can be prepared. And we have people in the chat trying to pair up. So y'all link up, do what you do. Man, I wish I had like, you know, honestly, real talk. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a platform like this when I was first getting started. Like I, like honestly, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I get jealous. <laughs> Like it's kind of funny, like isn't it weird? Like sometimes I get jealous of the things and of the same of the very thing that we created. Like you man, know, that was because weird. it's like yo, I wish I had this 
you know, a community like this or, you know, people around me that either look like me or whatever it was, you know, and mind you, I went to a black college, so understand the irony there. Mm -hmm. But I wish I had such a thing like this in which that I could pair up with individuals or have such a community in which that I could study. I could have the, you know, the, the accountability partners or whomever it is or study partners. So that way it's like, okay, hey, boom. Yeah. I didn't have that. Like, you know, and honestly, it's like, I, even if I did have that, I probably still would have made the same mistakes within my portfolio because that's a part of the learning process. You know, that's a part of the things, that's part of the journey that we go through. You know, from entrepreneurs, like, like understand this, like when you read about all these star-spangled awesome stories about entrepreneurs that like, you know, raise massive amounts of funding, you know, on the other side, they're sitting there nervous. They're literally clicking their teeth and trying to figure out exactly how to, how to make it all work. Now I got the money, now I got the spotlight, now I got to actually make it work. And now it's like I got to go from like, you know, five people to 200 people by the end of the year. Whereas it started off as a small idea and I make mistakes along the way. I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. I'm going to probably fail. I don't know how many times I think about the same way. Like I look at entrepreneurs in the same way that I look at, say, for example, investors and traders, because the journey that you're going to go through, it's not going to be easy. It's going to have its different twists and turns. You know, you know where you're headed, you know where your revenue can come from, but you don't know if it's coming tomorrow. You know, the same way it goes in your portfolio. You know what your portfolio could do. You know, the, you know the potential of what these companies can provide as it pertains to a return for your portfolio. But you don't know if it's coming tomorrow either. But the thing is, you roll with the punches. And if you make a mistake or say, for example, you know, the investment doesn't work out, it's okay. Pick yourself up and keep going. There's going to be a ton of folks out there that are going to literally quit because of the fact that they realize that this is tough. It's not as easy this year as it was for me in years before. But the difference is, is that the question that you have to look at is, what did you learn along the process? If you made it successfully in those first few years, but yet didn't learn anything, that's a shame. But if you learned X amount and yet you still took some L's here and there, the thing is, is like, yo, pick yourself up, get right back up. Like, remember that if you guys ever go back to that Rolling Fours episode, go back and look at it or the, the episodes that came after it. Sometimes in that episode, if you notice, I even removed and saying, hey, this investment didn't work out or this trade didn't work out. And yet, if you stay consistent, stay the course, stay like on that process, on that trajectory, you'll still get there. It just means that it, maybe your timeline, you know, maybe your timeline slows back by a year, six months, two months. It's worth it for the price of freedom, y'all. Let me tell you. I mean, Jolene, when you when you went through this process, like, mm -hmm. it had its pains. Yes, it had pains. <laughs> I feel like I was calling you crying almost every other day, <laughs> because also it was it was a huge. Um, it was a lot of information to learn and to just, you know, to be in it. You know, my emotions, I was so emo, you know, I mean, that's not the case now, but at that time, like I just, I felt every, every dollar I felt it, you know, like what is going on? 
Um, why is this doing this? What you know, all those all those things. Um, and when you have a group of people that you can, you know, talk to. Another key thing is when you're partnering, you know, you want to make sure that you're partnering with a peer. And what I mean by that is someone who you can contribute into and they can contribute into you instead of it being one-sided. Um, because otherwise, it's you're, one, one person is going to get exhausted. So just be sure that, you know, there's like a similar peer level. There might be someone who is better at tech uh, technicals than you, you know, partner with someone who um, complements whatever you're weak on and make sure that you can complement something that they're weak on so you all can grow together, you know, obviously iron sharpens iron, all that. Um, but luckily for y'all with the come up cousins, especially like OG cousins, um, y'all are iron, you know? And this is not anything that someone can't learn. Like I, I would say, like it is reading, read, <laughs> legit. That's all you have to. Do. If you can read, you can succeed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, seriously, there we seriously. Go. it's reading. <laughs> it's reading. Um, all right, y'all. We went well over. We're nine minutes over. <laughs> okay. Is there I'm anything hungry. else, Jolene? Nope. I think that's it. Um, are we having a supplemental Sunday? This Sunday. I'm waiting for TiVo to let me know. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but we'll we'll know from TiVo yes, pretty soon. We are, we He's are. A yes. So, yeah, so this Sunday, y'all. Um, thanks, TiVo. This Sunday, we will have supplemental Sundays. That is going to be um, 5:30 uh, Pacific Standard Time, 8:30 um, Eastern Standard Time. Get in where you fit in. Um, you know, watch old episodes to kind of prepare you for the new episodes. Um, and take what you learn from those. If there's something you don't know, look it up. I will look say this though, hmm. Jolene. Yeah. Soon there will be more wolves that are coming to the come up series, and there will be more voices outside of just you, you and I. That will and Tivo and AJ. That will be pretty much gracing the stage of the come up series. So stay yeah, y'all get ready. Y'all get ready. But that's all we're going to say about that for now, you know. For sure. For sure. All right, y'all. Until next time, I am Mark Monroe. And I'm Jill NGC in the place to be. And this, hopefully for you, has been your come up. Be sure to like and subscribe and share and comment down below. And we'll see y'all next week. But be sure to check out Supplemental Sundays. Peace, y'all. Yes.